Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Good morning, Central Service. How are you doing today? Right. <laughs> Marvellous. Well, as Joel mentioned, uh, we're kicking off a brand new sermon series today entitled Visions of God. And part of the purpose behind this series is looking at God and the person of Jesus more closely. I guess for most of us, the picture of Jesus with which we're most familiar is the one we see in the Gospels. The guy who walked this earth, performed amazing miracles, gave his life up on the cross and rose from death three days later. But if we read through the Bible, we realize that's only part of the story, only part of the picture. And so over the course of the next couple of months or so, we're going to be taking some less well-known passages in both the Old and the New Testament that will hopefully show Jesus and God in a very different light. And our hopes for this series is that as we look at the broader picture of who God is, it will help us in our worship, deepen our relationships with him, and as a result, help us live more effective lives in this city. And to kick off this series, we're going to be looking at a very unusual passage indeed in the Old Testament book of Daniel. If you have a Bible, you might well want to turn there. And just as a heads up, The language in this passage is very strange indeed. Uh, One of the types of literature we see in the Bible is called apocalyptic literature. Sounds very dramatic indeed. In reality, the word just means revealing, to reveal. Uh, So, for example, if Joel Nazar, who just did the notices, came to the front and took off his shirt to bear all, we as a service would experience an apocalypse. (laughs) As well as nausea and cold sweats. But anyway... (laughs) Uh, We just experience a revealing of something. So all this really is, is picture language that reveals something as to who God really is, that points to a deeper reality. So with all that said, let's turn to Daniel chapter 7, and we will begin to read at verse 1. This is what it says. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Uh, Daniel then has a vision of four very unusual monsters that emerge from the sea. I'm not going to read the descriptions, but there is an artist's impression coming up of what they might have looked like to Daniel. Some kind of lion with wings, a bear, a leopard, and some hideous monster with iron teeth. We will touch on what these represented a little later on in the talk. On the back of this very strange vision, we get to Daniel 7 and verse 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and books were opened. Verse 13. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit. The visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts, the four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. Well, that was straightforward, wasn't it? <laughs> Maybe the band want to come up and we'll close in prayer. No, 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 you'd love that. And uh, 
I'd love that too. But let's try and make some sense of what exactly is going on in this passage. What is happening here? And given part of this series is all about looking at Jesus more closely, where exactly does he feature? Well, if we read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, by far and away, the most common way that Jesus refers to himself is by calling himself not the Son of God, but the Son of Man. He does this over 80 times, 88 to be precise. And if you get hold of pretty much any Bible commentary, they will say that is a direct reference to this very strange passage in Daniel chapter 7. So why does Jesus choose this as a way to refer to himself, and what precisely does it mean? Well, one of the really interesting things about Jesus is, despite supposedly being God on earth, he never went around openly proclaiming that fact. Despite performing amazing miracles, walking on water, calming storms, he never went around Israel a couple of thousand years ago saying, hey everyone, God is here, I am God. In fact, sometimes the opposite. Sometimes when people or demons cried out, you are the son of the most high God, he'd actually command them to be quiet. Why would Jesus take this seemingly veiled approach to revealing his divinity? Well, one of the reasons is probably a more direct revelation wouldn't have been as effective. Uh, as I'm sure you are aware, a couple of thousand years ago, little old Israel was under the power of an enemy, Rome. And if you were a Jew going to connect with God at the temple, the temple was overshadowed by this huge Roman fortress. In fact, there's a slide coming up that displays this. On the left-hand side, you can see that tiny little building is the temple, and it's utterly dominated by this massive Roman structure. And so if you were a Jew going to the temple to connect with God, every time you did that, you would have this very visible reminder, oh, it's not really our kingdom, is it? It's kind of like we have our kingdom, but, but not really. Politically, militarily, socially, economically, financially, spiritually, religiously, it must have seemed like little old Israel was under threat. And to all intents and purposes, it must have felt like God had deserted his people. And so if Jesus suddenly starts walking around Israel saying, hey, everyone, God's here, the first thing they would have said is not, oh, wow, we love you, we worship you, we've got you here in physical form, we want relationship with you. No, it would have been great. If you're God, get rid of these Romans. Take away our enemies. But if you look at what was going on in the temple, you realize that relationship with God was not their top priority. If Jesus says, hey, everyone, I am God, then all they do is say, great, raise an army and get rid of our enemies. Sometimes I can kind of approach God the same way. Really silly example of trying to express what was going on in their hearts. For those of you that know me, well, I'm the daddy of three young children aged seven, five, and two. And this is a genuine conversation that took place between me and them over the Easter holidays just gone. They, they come to me and they start batting their cute puppy dog eyes at me and they start putting on their cute voice. And their spokesman, who in this occasion was me and my five-year-old, says, Hello, Daddy. Hello, Daddy. Uh, could, could we please have, could we please have a, a chocolate egg? We, we'd really like a chocolate egg. Could we have some, some chocolate, please? And I was like, look, I'm really sorry, sweetheart. Dinner isn't too far away. Um, no chocolate for you right now. Oh, oh please, please, Daddy. We've been, we've been really good. And it, chocolate's just there. You could get it for us really, really easily. And it will make us so happy. And please, can we have some chocolate, Daddy? Uh, please, please, can we have some chocolate? And I was like, look, I'm really sorry, sweethearts. We are at Grandma and Granddad's house right now. And if Daddy gives you some chocolate, you're going to start running around their house like a load of balloons with the air going out of them. You know, <laughs> I'm really sorry, you can't have any chocolate. Mm -hmm. 
we love you. We love you so much. Oh, sweethearts, I love you too. I love you too so much. But you have to understand, if, if Daddy gives you chocolate right now, Mummy will kill Daddy. <laughs> really sorry, okay? Oh, and this is a direct quote. Oh, but we love you so much more than Mummy. <laughs> You're the best. Oh, have the chocolate, okay? Have the chocolate, okay? Now, when I recount that story, we all know deep down that declaration of love wasn't really love. They didn't want Daddy. They wanted the chocolate. That is you, that is me, that is all of us. Now, every Sunday I come to church and I sing songs with, quite frankly, staggering lyrics. Have everything. Have all of my heart. I love you so much. If I'm being really honest, what I really want deep down is God to do what I think is his job. Take trouble and anxiety away from my life and give me a life of comfort and ease. Get rid of those nasty Romans from my world and make my life better, please. That's what the Jews were like a couple of thousand years ago. If Jesus walks around saying, hey, God's here, everyone, they'll be like, great, we don't really want you. Just get rid of the Romans for us. And of course, the other reason that Jesus wouldn't reveal his divinity directly is if the Romans heard about this and they had their own messianic aspirations, they'd simply say, well, if you think you're God, let's just raise an army and crush this movement and Jesus' mission would not have lasted very long. And so what Jesus chooses to do is take a subtler approach to revealing who he really is. The phrase son of man, both then and in the book of Daniel, actually, on one level, it means just that. I'm a son of a man. I'm Mary and Joseph's kid. I'm a human being. It's a bit like C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia. I'm just a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve. That's who I am. The Romans heard this. There's no threat. They're just a son of a man. No problem. But for those who were really listening, for those who really wanted relationship with God, they say, hang, hang on. Could this be the person from Daniel chapter 7? Because this isn't any human being. This is a human being that approaches the ancient of days, God himself, and to whom is given glory and honor and power and dominion and the worship of every nation under heaven. In other words, Jesus is revealing who he really is, but only for those who are really looking. Only for those who really want relationship with him. God is available but only for those who are searching. Sometimes Jesus will criticize people, say, hey, you guys, you've got eyes to see and you don't really see. Or he says things like, hey, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, it's possible to hear the most staggering message and we can miss it because we are not listening intently enough. God is available then and now. We can experience more of his presence and power if we want, but only for those who are really looking. Some of you might remember a craze in the 1990s called magic eyes. Does anyone remember magic eyes? Put your hands up. Yep, my people, my people. These were uh, featured in magazines or on billboards or on books. And essentially, you'd see a really curious pattern, the kind of thing you might see in the, in the tape modern or something. And a casual glance, it looks like nothing much at all. But if you stare at it intently, your eyes begin to refocus, and a 3D image begins to jump out at you. You're like, wow, that's amazing, that's so cool. Well, it wasn't actually so cool, it was just mildly interesting, to be honest. But if you put the next slide up, you can see the image in this one. And uh, that's kind of how God chooses to reveal himself. That just casual glance, miss him so easily. But when we stare intently, we can find him. That's why God sometimes reveals himself through strange literature like in Daniel 7. He's there, but we can miss him if we don't look intently enough. Just another example, just to labor the point. 
Uh, over the Easter holidays, I was listening to a well-known TV presenter, won't reveal his name, but he was basically totally criticizing the Christian faith. And he picked a random passage in the Old Testament, not Daniel 7, but a bit like it. He laughed at it and said, see, Christianity couldn't be true, and therefore dismissed the entire faith. Well, I would accuse him of having eyes to see, but not really seeing. One example that I used years ago to try and unpack this a bit is uh, shortly after the Second World War, uh, many of the Allied forces, uh, having beaten uh, Germany, the Nazis, uh, decided to help rebuild post-Second World War Germany, cities like Berlin. Well, I want you to imagine that you are an alien in the 1940s thinking of colonizing Earth. And you beam down from your spaceship in 1943, and you have a look around, and you think, oh, everyone's fighting each other. Uh, it's not very safe. You go back up to your spaceship, you report back and say, I'll take a look again in a few years' time. Then in 1946, you beam down again, and you think, oh, wow, peacetime's come, but these people are crazy. They used to be fighting against Germany, and now they're rebuilding Germany. They have no idea what they want. And you go back up to your spaceship and you report back, they're all bonkers down there. Such contradictory behavior, fighting Germany one minute, rebuilding it the next. Let's find a different planet to colonize. Well, any right-thinking human being would say, no, you're missing the story. You're not looking deep enough. Of course, if you beam down at different moments, of course it looks like it's contradictory behavior. But when you begin to look deeper at 1944 and 1945 and the demise of Hitler and the crumbling of the Nazi regime, suddenly this begins to make sense. Well, I would accuse that TV presenter of beaming into a little bit of the Old Testament like that alien invader. I think you say, see this? God can't be there, closing his Bible and laughing and walking away. Having eyes to see but not seeing, but for those who look deep, for those who look intently, it's like God can spring off the page and speak into our lives. God is available, but only for those who are really looking. One of the reasons we are going through this series right now is because we want to respond to what we feel God is saying to us as a church. As I was thinking and praying about how could I put this into words, I was reminded of a story about a man called John Wimber. He was a remarkable man, founded the Vineyard Network of Churches. And he became a follower of Jesus when, in his words... He was a beer-guzzling, drug-abusing pop musician converted at 29 while chain-smoking his way through a Quaker-led Bible study. Some conversion. And he became really hungry to read the Bible. And he went to one of the leaders in his church and said, this is amazing, when do we get to do the stuff? And this leader was like, the stuff? Like, yeah, the Jesus stuff, the miracles and the healings and the revelations about what's going on in people's lives, like the stuff. And this leader was like, oh, oh no, we, we don't do that here. Like we, we, we teach the Bible, we tell stories about Jesus, but that's not for today anymore. And John Wimber was incredulous. He was like, what? You're telling me I gave up drugs for this? No way! And he began to really seek after God, to really pray, to really study. And after a couple of years, he began to see amazing breakthrough, like healings and miracles, profound revelation into what was going on in people's lives. Just extraordinary. And he began to experience what I might call the cult of Christian celebrity. Because thousands of people would come to hear what he had to say, but more significantly see him move in what I'd describe as genuine Holy Spirit power. And he tells a story about preparing to speak to thousands of people at this event, and there's a knock at his dressing room door. And a, lady, uh, a man comes in and says, um, there's a lady here who says she's got a prophetic word from God for you. And Wimber kind of rolls his eyes, because he was used to people wanting to get to get near him, he's like, oh, yeah, prophetic word, yeah, yeah, I bet she's really emotional or something, you know, send her in, like really patronizing. And this woman comes in, and she looks at John Wimber, and she's suddenly overcome with emotion, and she starts to cry. 
And she cries and she cries and she can't hold the emotion back and she cries for six, seven minutes and it starts to get a bit awkward. And eventually this lady composes herself and Wimber's really patronizing. He like puts her hand on her shoulder like, oh, all right then, had a good cry, everything okay, want to share the prophetic word now? And this woman looks into John Wimber's eyes and she says, that's what I think God wants to say to you right now. And she turns on her heels and she walks out the room. Wimp said that moment hit him like a thunderbolt because he began to realize that while he was beginning to see some really exciting stuff happen, he'd grown a little proud and complacent in here. And he had lost some of his dependency and need of God. He said, I got on my knees, I repented. And from that point on, my ministry was marked by a newfound sense of humility and this desperate need for God. And as I reflected on that story, I thought, I wonder if there is a lesson in there for us as a church. You see, the main reason for us going through this series is not because we thought, wouldn't it be nice to take some unusual passages in the Bible and explain what they mean? Well, we want to respond to what we think God is saying to us. You may remember last autumn, we shared that we felt God was speaking to us about pursuing more of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in this church. We did this series on the work of the Holy Spirit through the book of Acts. It's a good series. We got to the start of this year, and we're like, okay, God, what are you saying now? And essentially, again and again, we felt God nudge us more. Pursue me some more. It's like he's saying, don't do a series on the Holy Spirit and think, we've done that. Now let's move on to something new. No, go deeper, connect with me. That's why we did a series on worship. That's why we're doing this series right now, that there is more. You know, as a church, as Christ Church London, we never, ever, ever want to go through the motions. We never, ever, ever want to put on meetings. We don't want relationship with Jesus to be an add-on to an already busy London life. We are desperate for him. We are utterly and totally dependent on him. We are thirsty for so much more. And if anyone here is thinking, you know what, I'm doing okay in my Christian life right now. Life's pretty good then maybe, 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 metaphorically speaking, God is weeping over us and saying, don't stop there. There's more. Don't grow complacent. Go deep. There's more for you. Don't miss out. A couple of years ago, my family, uh, just before my third child, Emily, was born, we went on a, a trip to Legoland Windsor. Uh, we saved up all our Tesco club card vouchers and splashed them all out in one go. And if you've been to the park, you know you go into this kind of entrance to the park and uh, they, they rope everybody off and let you all into the park at the same time. And so we got there early, really excited, and we're about seven rows back, thousands of people there. And Mia starts crying and I just turn to her to deal with whatever she's uh, crying about. And I turn back and Brody, our boy, has gone. And I turn to her and say, look, where's Brody? He was just with you. And she's like, no, no, he wasn't. He was with you. I'm like, I'm dealing with Mia. He was with you. Where is he? And as we're trying to apportion blame, suddenly the barriers are opened and thousands of people start flooding into the park. And we cannot find Brody anywhere. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, we are going frantic with worry. And eventually, thankfully, we found this little known lost and found section and somebody had taken Brody there and we found him. I tell you what, I have never squeezed him so tight in my entire life. All the joy and relief. And I tell you what, even two years later, uh, Joy and I still have big debates, big arguments <laughs> as to whose fault it really was on that fateful day that Joy lost Brody at Legoland. <laughs> but, 
The, the point of the story is this. In all of my life, in all of my life, I have never searched for anyone or anything as intently as I look for my son in those 20 minutes. I would have done anything. Didn't care about the entertainment. Didn't care about my birthday. I just had to get hold of him. And nothing would stop me till I'd done that. And it kind of got me thinking. It kind of got me wondering, what if I pursued God like that? What would it mean for my life? What would it mean for this church? I've been very moved reading many of the stories about Billy Graham, the world's most famous evangelist who passed away aged 99 in February this year. Do you know it's estimated that Billy Graham preached the good news about Jesus to just short of half the population of the entire world? Isn't that amazing? What was his secret? Well, a number of anecdotes were from people who accidentally walked in on him before he was about to speak. What did they find? Was a guy nervously pacing the room because of the amount of people he had to talk to? No. Was it a guy rehearsing his lines so he delivered it as eloquently as possible? No. He was often found on his face, weeping and crying out to God, saying, I need you. I can't do this without you. These people, whether they realize it or not, they need you so badly. Come by your Holy Spirit. I need you so much more. I heard a well-known Christian leader reflect on those stories, and she said this. She said, maybe one of the reasons we miss out on more of the presence and power of God in our lives is we're so good at attending and putting on meetings and having a nice time at church that we've lost some of the hunger and desperate need of God. Jesus is the Son of Man. He's there, but only for those who are really looking, only for those who are really listening. Do we want more of his presence in our lives? Do I? Now, before I briefly explain what I think Daniel chapter 7 means, I want to just give a few pointers from Daniel 7. How can I go after God? If I want to get hold of him, more of his power and presence in my life, how do I do that? First principle is this, find a place of receptivity. I I was totally struck by the fact that this amazing encounter with God, this amazing vision that makes its way into Holy Scripture, Daniel gets it, verse 1, when he's lying in bed at night, free from distractions. He's just there, and I thought, I think there's a lesson there for us. Now, what do I so often do before bed? Watch TV, surf the internet, check social media. You know, God speaks often in dreams and visions in the Bible. There's no reason to think he wouldn't do the same today, though the main way he does speak is through the Bible. Maybe one of the reasons I miss divine encounters with him is I'm just too distracted, and I'm filling my mind with mindless junk instead. You know, I think falling asleep and hearing God are not that dissimilar. Now, there's no one here, I imagine, that you can just lie in bed at night, hit the pillow, and you're gone. How do you fall asleep? You eliminate all other distractions. You lie in bed, and you kind of relax and wait. And you rest, and you wait. And you get more comfortable, and you wait. And then it's eventually like sleep comes. Hearing God is not so different. We eliminate all other distractions if we really want to get hold of him and we read and we wait. And we pray and we wait. And we listen and we wait. And I promise you, I think God will speak. Find a place of receptivity. Say, I'm going to get rid of everything else. I've got to find you. I want to get hold of you. Lessons two, three, and four. What happens next? I was just struck by the fact that Daniel gets this amazing vision from God and he doesn't understand it straight away. So what does he do? We're told he looks, he thinks, and he asks questions. He looks, he thinks, and he asks questions. 
some lessons for us. You know, God, God doesn't just zap us with the answer to our needs. He said, no, no, come find me. You know, read and then look. Ask questions. Think about it. What might Jesus mean by this? Why might this have come up in my daily Bible reading today? I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to listen to podcasts. I'm going to read books. I'm going to talk to my friends in church to help me discern what's God saying to me right now. I'm going to put my mind to work. I'm not just going to expect to be zapped with a lightning bolt. I want to go after God. Look, think, ask questions. Another principle. As we begin to hear God speaking to us, acknowledge our emotions, work through them, and respond accordingly. Just struck by the fact Daniel gets this amazing vision. He looks, he thinks, he asks questions, but then he feels a bit uncomfortable. He's disturbed by it. Getting hold of more of God in our lives, if we're really hungry for him, it might not necessarily lead to a place of joy and euphoria. Maybe we realize that there are habits that need to be confessed. Or we need to get out of our comfort zone and break through fear. For Daniel, many of the visions he gets in this book will lead him to confront kings and kingdoms and authorities. That is scary stuff. Do I have that kind of receptive heart? If not, if not, why? Why would God bother to speak to me? If, if he does, I'm like, I'm not going to respond to that. I'm not going to live that out. Do I have that kind of humility? And then just one final principle. How do I encounter God? We need to stay humble and realize there's always more. Even at the end of this profoundly incredible vision, Daniel still doesn't understand it all. Still a bit uncomfortable. And he couldn't possibly have foreseen what it all really meant. As God begins to speak to me, maybe I get pictures or dreams from him. You know, it's an important reminder that this is the authority, not me. I'll get lots wrong. I'll never get it all fully right. I need to stay humble, but realize that there's more of God to be pursued. Little story, just to illustrate how some of these principles work themselves out in my own life. A couple of years ago, um, I was preparing a talk for our leadership retreat. Uh, You are aware, I hope, uh, once a year, uh, for the last three years at least, we take uh, anyone who wants to grow in the area of leadership away for 48 hours. Are we doing it again at the end of August, Thursday the 30th of August through to Saturday the 1st of September? Debbie Wright from the Nottingham Trent Vineyard is our guest speaker. Lots of time to, for prayer and ministry and community with all you know, leaders from across our services. We would love you there. You are all invited. More info on the website. But I was writing a talk for this retreat, and part of the talk was all about listening to God. And I'm up against a deadline. I don't have much time. And I'm like trying to find illustrations and stories. As I'm writing this talk on listening to God, a picture comes into my head of a girl that I have only met twice in my life and not seen for two years. I'm like, that's a bit weird. Uh, She'd she'd been to church uh, once, heard me speak. She wasn't a Christian, had a couple of uh, questions, said, could we meet for coffee? We did, had a very warm, pleasant uh, chat over coffee at Starbucks in Clapham. We'd not seen each other since. I'm like, why is she coming into my head? I've not got time to think about her. I've got a talk to write on listening to God. And then I began to think, that's a bit weird. She'd come to mind at that moment. God, is that you? And I began to look, and I began to think, and I began to ask questions. Like, why would she come to mind then? Jesus, are you nudging me right now? And then I began to feel a bit uncomfortable, like, oh no, do I have to get in touch with her? I don't even know her. I've not seen her for two years. Oh, please, no. And I began to think, oh, maybe this is God. I thought, I I don't really know. So I just sent her a very simple text. I said, hi, it's Andy from Christchurch. Not seen you for two years. Random, I know. You popped into my head. Hope you're doing really well. Bye for now. About 10 minutes later, I get a text reply on my phone saying, Andy, I can't believe you texted right then. It makes me think God might be real. Can we meet? Not a reply I get very often. I hasten to add. (laughs) So we arranged to meet in Pret-a-Manger in Victoria. 
And she tells me how we came to be there. She said, I'd been for a hospital appointment and I had come out feeling very alone and very vulnerable. My family and my boyfriend live a long way away. I had no one to talk to about this. And I got into a taxi to go home and I just found myself so overwhelmed, I burst into tears. And the taxi driver saw me crying and he said, I'm really sorry to see you crying, madam. Is everything okay? And she said, I just confessed a little bit. I'm feeling a bit lonely, uh, overwhelmed right now. I'm sorry for crying in your cab. And this taxi driver said, well, I hope you don't mind me asking this, but I'm a follower of Jesus. Would you mind if I prayed for you right now? She said, actually, I'd, I'd quite like that. Would you pray? So he prayed, words to this effect, God, you know exactly what this lady is going through right now. I want to pray that you would comfort her by the presence of your Holy Spirit. And would you also bring someone into her life who can provide a sense of comfort and support at this difficult time? I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Ding, 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 ding. My text message arrives. The text message of God. <laughs> and, and so we have this conversation. As we're having this conversation, I just feel I've got a voice in my head saying, ask her if she wants to follow Jesus. Ask her if she wants to follow Jesus. And so at the end of this conversation, I just say, look, I hope you don't mind me asking this, but would you like to follow Jesus? She said, I'd love to. Can we pray? And with tears rolling down her face, I, just, I witnessed her first ever prayer. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want you in my life. Now, is that God? I don't know. Sure sounds like him. She's still on a journey right now. She's still figuring out church and a whole load of stuff. But it kind of got me thinking. It kind of got me wondering, how many of the God text message moments do I miss? Because I've got too many deadlines to meet. God is available for anybody who's thirsty for more of him, but only for those who are really looking. Now, with all that said, what does Daniel 7 actually mean? Let me just explain this very briefly. We're told Daniel gets this amazing vision in 583, or when Belshazzar is king of Babylon, so around about 583 BC. You can say that pretty accurately. And he gets this vision of these four beasts. You saw the picture a little earlier. And there's an interpretation in Daniel 7. We read it. These four beasts represent four kings and kingdoms. And history tells us these kingdoms are Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Pictures of that on these empires are coming up on the screen. Each kingdom, you could argue, is bigger and a little bit nastier than the previous one. And we're told these kingdoms are oppressing followers of the Most High God. The word in the Hebrew means they're wearing them out, like you might get a hole in a shoe or a piece of clothing. Very vivid description. And we're given this picture of this huge courtroom scene where all these kingdoms, and we can assume many others, are taking their place before the Ancient of Days God himself. And we're told that a son of man, a human being who's been subject to these kingdoms, who's been oppressed by these kingdoms, now approaches the ancient of days on the clouds of heaven. In other words, his trajectory is not from heaven to earth, but from earth to heaven. It's as if this human being is being summoned, and the judge of all creation is going to determine, have you done something worthy of life or deserving of death? And we're given this picture of all these other kingdoms coming and going. And to this son of man is handed glory and authority and dominion and power and the worship of every nation under heaven and a kingdom that will never pass away. And when Jesus continually refers to himself in the New Testament as the son of man, what he's saying for those who are looking closely enough is, I'm that guy in Daniel 7. I've been oppressed, subject to these other kingdoms. But I'm inaugurating a brand new kingdom. And best of all, you hitch your chariot to me. 
You connect with me, you're going to inherit this kingdom that will never pass away. The application for us is very simple, actually. Because if I look around the world today, I will find there's a whole load of different kings and kingdoms. Some of them are literal empires, literal kingdoms, with access to weapons that could do a whole load of damage, kingdoms intent on terror and the loss of innocent lives. You could argue the world is a scary place to live right now. But then there are subtler kingdoms, kingdoms that are harder to see unless you look closely, the kingdom of celebrity power, in which you find your place if you're good-looking enough or have achieved enough, the kingdom of wealth, where you find your place through having a certain amount of money in your bank balance, kingdoms of fear, kingdoms of insecurity, kingdoms of suffering, and the kingdom against whom we are most powerless of all, the kingdom of death itself, which seems so final. And if we are not careful, just like those kingdoms were represented by beasts in Daniel 7, these kingdoms can get their claws into us. We can find them oppressing us. Oh, I'm anxious. Have I achieved enough? Am I good-looking enough? What about my future prospects? What about my job security? What about how do I get on the property ladder? What about the state of the world right now? These kingdoms can make me feel anxious and afraid. But then we are reminded of this one like a son of man. That all these other kingdoms will come and go, but to him... He's handed glory and honor and authority. A kingdom that will never pass away. What it means is this. If I get hold of the Son of Man, if I follow him, I can be freed from the power of all these other kingdoms. Here is a picture coming up of what life in the kingdom of the Son of Man looks like. Next slide. This is life in the kingdom of the Son of Man, the lollipop lady. Outside my kid's school, there is a lollipop lady. She is the frailest lady I think I've ever seen in the world. I look at her and I think a gust of wind could blow you over. But when she dons a luminous yellow jacket and carries that lollipop stick, she walks into the middle of the road, frail as you like, and giant juggernauts need to stop. Why? Because she has authority. That is life in the kingdom of the Son of Man. I can say to the kingdom of fear, you will have no power over me, because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can say to the kingdom of wealth, my emotional state will not be dictated to by the size of my bank balance or my job security for the future. God is my provider and I will trust in him. I can say to the kingdom of image and celebrity, my value is not dictated to by how I look or what I achieve, but by a God who sent his one and only son to give his life for me. That's where my value resides. I can say to the kingdom of sickness, even if I get sick myself, that I am following one who has beaten even death. Jesus is risen from the dead, and therefore, even in my darkest moments, I still have hope. It's life in the kingdom of the Son of Man. In many ways, Daniel 7 is not that dissimilar from Daniel 6. One of the most famous stories in the whole of the Old Testament, Daniel in the lion's den. And though there will be people cleverer than me who disagree with me on this, this is one of the reasons I think these chapters are put next to each other. Because we have a guy, Daniel, who's serving the most high God in a foreign culture, Babylon. And there are people who don't like it and want to trap him. And he ends up being thrown into a pit of literal beasts, lions who are hungry for their dinner. So what does he do? He prays to the most high God. And the power of these beasts is neutered. And the following morning, Daniel is saved. His enemies are vanquished. And Daniel gets more authority and responsibility as a result. Life in the kingdom of the Son of Man. Amidst all these other kingdoms in our world, we might feel they're like lions round about. So we get hold of the kingdom of the Son of Man. We cry out to him. And we know their power neutered over our lives. And in time, 
we know safety and salvation because we're following his king. As we go through this series, we will see that Jesus is not just a person who walked the earth 2,000 years ago, loving the unlovable and bestowing grace and mercy on the broken. No, he is the one with all authority, glory, and power. He is stronger than anyone or anything. He is victorious over sin. He is triumphant over death. He is the conqueror of all fear, anxiety, and sickness. He is the Lord of the nations and the one to whom all other kings and kingdoms will one day bow down. But we can miss him if we don't look close enough. There's more of his presence and power right now if we want it. Are we hungry? Are we thirsty? I don't pray for us as a church as half as much as I should. But I have a deep sense of conviction, and I think I speak on behalf of the team here, that Jesus wants to nudge us that there is more. We're not here to go through the motions. We're not here to put on meetings. We're desperate for more of him. We long for more of his presence and power. Do we want him? And let's look closer. Let's eliminate all other distractions and say, I'm here. I want more of you. Why don't we stand to our feet? Maybe the band want to come up. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.